You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Hey, everyone. Well, as you heard, I'm Dave Rubenstein, your host today, as we again turn our What the Dev podcast into a What the DevOps podcast. Uh, and today, we're going to be looking at how organizations can assess their DevOps efforts. Uh, with me today is Jane Grohl. She's the CEO of the DevOps Institute, which recently rolled out a crowdsourced assessment of DevOps capabilities. Hey, Jane, how you doing? And thanks for being here. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Very, very excited about our conversation today. Yeah, me too. Me too. So uh, let's get right into it. So the, this uh, capability of uh, to be able to measure and assess your DevOps capabilities uh, what was the thinking that went into that when you decided to create this and and what was the work involved in putting it all together thanks for asking that so you know we know that as devops has started to really become an enterprise objective or an enterprise program the ability to understand the capabilities of the team and then of course the entire enterprise um, it was essential in order to be able to understand where you are, where you're going, and have you gotten there, or have you reached a milestone? And while there are many assessments in the in the market today, most are vendor specific. And uh, at one point, a large enterprise came to DevOps Institute and asked us to work with them on creating a vendor agnostic uh, assessment so that they could benchmark themselves, but they could also look at data from other organizations. And that was sort of the inspiration for looking at DevOps Institute as an agnostic source of creating some type of an assessment model where uh, teams and enterprise, and I, I, I emphasize that a lot because it's really not an individual's assessment. An individual can put in their their beliefs about their team and multiple individuals on the same team or, the, or again, multiple teams, if you're in a, a more senior role, could do that. But really being able to understand the capabilities of a team or an organization became essential. And so we started this project really as a, a project, a passion project, uh, recognizing that we wanted to make it something holistic. We wanted to make it something agnostic. Um, and we worked with our very extensive ambassador community to make sure that to our best uh, knowledge, that it was based on reality, right? That it was based on something that organizations could not only go through the process of ADOC, assessment of DevOps capabilities, but that the results that would come out of it would be actionable, would be understandable and, and, and so forth. Uh, we're really blessed. We have an ambassador community that is very global. It's about 200 ambassadors mm -hmm. come from all walks of life. Uh, they may be a practitioner, they may be a consultant, they may come from the vendor side of it, but they're a really connected community. And about 30 of our ambassadors participated in building this, led by our chief ambassador, Helen Beal. Great. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the things that I was curious to, to know about, I know in, in um, your announcement, you talked about uh, five dimensions of DevOps. Uh, which include process and frameworks, functional composition, uh, intelligent automation, technology ecosystems. And the one that kind of jumped out at me was human aspects. Uh, we hear about this uh, across the industry uh, of, of software development, 
about how tools can give you data and, and give you frameworks for doing work. But if the people are making are not involved in making the decisions or making wrong decisions, a lot of the value that those things provide kind of goes away. So so I know you were very early on, in fact, in identifying the, the humanness of, of all of these efforts. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that and, and what that means. Yeah, it's really gratifying that the, that humans are now on center stage as as part of uh, the essential ingredient to transformation. Uh, you're right. We were pretty early on in that our mission is to advance the human elements of DevOps. And if you think of the origins of DevOps, uh, one of the reasons DevOps even was born was to be able to create a more collaborative environment between software engineers and their operational counterparts. And uh, well, automation certainly is an enabler of that. Uh, you know, sometimes in IT, our position is let's get a tool and that'll solve all our problems. And I think we're finding out that in this case, I mean, DevOps is pretty big. Mm-hmm. Being able to have uh, hybrid humans with hybrid skills, with good collaborative skills is important. And how do you know? How do you know that your capabilities on the human side, which is not fluffy, right? It is empathy. It is bias, it is collaboration, it is problem solving, it's critical thinking skills, things that humans, at least today, are solely capable of doing, Mm -hmm. um, become important. And so being able to assess those capabilities is essential. And excuse me, like you, we're hearing more and more and more uh, about, you know, the humanity that's associated with digital transformation and DevOps. And I think Mm -hmm. if anything last year taught us, It's that human transformation and humans were going to be the drivers behind transformation, particularly for organizations that had to pivot very quickly with very, very little notice. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So so let me just ask you this question. So uh, in in, uh, relation to the human discussion, so do you think, was it DevOps that made organizations aware of the fact that that's really what their business is all about? Or did the businesses say, oh, we need to do this, so we're going to adopt a DevOps culture and see how that works? So what I'm saying is, was it something that was driven in the in the development area and kind of pushed through the enterprise? Or did you see it more as a, as a top-down effort that some high-level executive said, we have to make this transformation? Or a little of both, I guess. I think it's a little bit of both. I, you know, one of the things I love about DevOps, and, and again, DevOps feels like it, 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 it's a, a more of a, a boundary as opposed to digital transformation, which feels big, is that it's bottom up and top down, right? You can't mandate it and you can't do it stealthily, right? So you need management support, but you also need the buy-in of the individuals that are going to, to have to make those kind of changes. So I think it's all of the above. This is nothing new. In the sense of, I mean, I come from the ITIL community where, you know, 15 years ago, we were saying, well, you need to look at your outcomes and you need to look at value and uh, you need to look at organizational change management. I think what's different now is that when we assess capabilities and we look at humans, the needs of humans, one of which is connecting, right? Being able to connect with other humans, that the siloed mentality that's grown up in IT because we're an organization of specialists really almost was organic, right? It wasn't intentional, but you have a 2000 person IT department. It's different than the 25 person IT department that's in the same location that goes out for happy hour at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And so really making some intentional efforts 
for, we don't call them soft skills because soft skills are hard, right? <laughs> really looking at human skills. Um, and, and again, they are, they, they are skills that need to be focused on. So really to answer your question, I think DevOps gave us something to focus on, right? It, it illustrated a problem that, that many organizations didn't know how to solve, maybe didn't know that there was a problem to solve, but that as software development became, uh, you know, particularly with agile software development, became very team focused, very self-organizing, the operational team was feeling disenfranchised. I think it just gave us a, a means of being able to say this is important. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember having those conversations around ITIL uh, back in the day. And you know what? It was it was kind of uh, kind of esoteric, kind of hard to get your head around and try to really understand how it worked in a, in a, in a workplace, how you could actually take those things and do it. And then I think uh, as DevOps uh, came up, as we were talking earlier, around 2012, uh, that I think it clarified a lot of things, maybe by just shrinking down the scope. And and making it something that people could more easily get their heads around and uh, and and evolve from there. Yeah, I think also when you look at kind of you know human capabilities, it some feel that it's not measurable, and the reality is it is measurable. But it also hopefully takes away the fact that that there's a belief that culture is surgical. You know, I always say that mm-hmm. you know we treat sur- we treat culture like well, if I have a surgeon come in um, and they they remove the existing culture and they surgically attach a new culture tomorrow, everybody will operate a different way, and that's not true. Humans humans change at their own pace, but they also need transformational leaders uh, and they need to know what direction to go in, right? They need guidance in terms of of how to support their team, particularly in very self-organizing, you know, situations like SRE or agile software development or now DevOps. They need to know how to be a good team player uh, because being friendly or being introverted isn't necessarily going to be your defining, right? Your defining human skill. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important. Yeah. Well, this is something that, that I say a lot and it uh, seems to be true. Uh, you know, you talk to a lot of uh, organizations, people who work uh, in places and they're like, yeah, uh, we're going to get this new software. We're going to implement this framework. And, and oh, by the way, yeah, we'll have to change our culture as if that's something you snap your fingers and now you have a new culture or, similar to the surgical analogy, but uh, that's the hardest problem to, to solve. Uh, you know, I came out of daily newspapers and we all know what's happening there. So you have this dichotomy now of a bunch of old people around my age doing their print thing while all the new generation are coming up and they're doing all the videos and the Instagram and, and all of that kind of stuff. So there's kind of uh, it's kind of a changing culture where the old guys feel like kind of the world is passing them by and the young guys feel like they're getting dragged back by uh, these other people. So I know making that, that kind of cultural change is super difficult. Yeah. And I think also, if you look at the dimensions of ADOC, one of the things I really love about how the model was built is it's not saying there's any one secret magic solution. Right. It is uh, an ecosystem. There's a holistic approach to transformation that requires 
process, intelligent process, intelligent automation, a technology infrastructure, functionality, and people. So it even goes beyond people, process, and technology, which is, you know, kind of our mantra, and really breaks it down into these interrelated dimensions that you may be strong in one area and you may be weaker in another area. And the question is, how do you know? Um, and on a team perspective, which, uh, you know, shamelessly, I have to tell you, is now part of our new premium membership model. So the access to the team version is a benefit for that that uh, premium membership. And then the enterprise to be able to look at the, the relationship between the team of teams, um, you know, that becomes pretty significant. Yeah. So uh, when you were talking about the model you're, you were talking about uh, things like assessing people, process, and technologies and, and baselining state. So is this something that can give an organization not only baselining their own thing, but is there a way for them to compare what they're doing against other similar organizations to see where they're at? Sure. Of course, as we collect more data, the benchmarking will get better and better and better and better. Mm-hmm. I think as importantly, though, the enterprise version of ADOC allows a, a, a certain level of management to be able to look across their entire organization and see the capabilities of different teams, see where they need to focus their investments, their resources, uh, to maybe to do peer-to-peer mentoring if one team has stronger capabilities than another. So it really gives you kind of that overview of how the organization is performing. And then on a team basis, to really look at the dynamics of the team and understand again, where should we be looking at our improvement efforts? Where are we really strong? Maybe there's some areas that that um, we are really challenged with. And so I, I do think that benchmarking against other organizations is important, but I also think benchmarking against yourself and, and ADOC is meant to be something that's repeated. So you don't just do it once. Right. And it doesn't give you a number like some of the we don't call it a process maturity framework where you're a three, you know, and again, there's good value in in some of those frameworks, but it becomes a number game. And we didn't want that. Right. That's not human. We didn't want you to be like, oh, I wish I were a five, but we're only a three. No. Uh, So it's hopefully something that is is helpful. It's realistic and that um, that benchmarking against the industry is great, but really looking at progress is, mm. I think, more important. Right. Okay. So I know that this this first iteration of this uh, model uh, ha- has launched. Uh, so where does it go? What what uh, what are you looking at down the road as something that you might want to add into to this to help further uh, uh, organizations further assess themselves? So uh, again, this is this is kind of day one. Well, actually, it's day right. two, right? Um, and 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 being able to to get market feedback to understand, you know, capabilities. But there are certain patterns and certain trends that we know that we want to focus on. Site reliability engineering is trending so fast and and so furiously that we know that adding on uh, SRE is important. DevSecOps again another really hot topic. And then also looking at say government versus the assessment of others uh, becomes important. Yes. All right. That's it. That's, that's all the time we have for today. I could have uh, gone on for quite a while. I had many other questions. So hopefully we can have you back soon and, uh, and continue the conversation. Uh, Congratulations on the launch. Thanks for being with us today. 
Thank you. And really, uh, you know, to you and SD Times, thank you for your support and for helping us get this word out. We think it's just really critical. So appreciate it and happy to come back anytime. Sure. Thank you so much, Jane. And, and to our listeners, thanks so much for being with us today. And until next time, I'm Dave Rubenstein. So long for now. Thank you.